This is an encore edition of The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Julie returns next week with a new show. Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all. Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Nice to be here today. It's a beautiful fall day. And as I look out the window, Eric, I know the skyline is behind those clouds. But generally speaking, I'm just struck by how gorgeous it is today. Another beautiful day. And? Perfect time to take your dog for a walk. It is. It is a nice day to take your dog for a walk, isn't it? It's always a little foggy. This one's easy. <laughs> a little foggy still in some places. Just right but, here, uh, though. Yeah, the sunshine is coming out, so uh, it's nice. Fall colors, uh, you know, different smells with the change of season. Go somewhere new even. Give your dog a treat for their nose. Go for a walk. Gorgeous day. And even if it's not, we always say that. <laughs> true enough, true enough. It'd yeah. be pouring rain. We're getting Such a, lot a more, nice day to take your dog for a walk. A lot more fog than uh, we're used to, I think. Mm. I feel like we're in San Francisco or London or something. So, you know, it's kind of a nice change of pace, you know. We're traveling without having to travel. Yes. <laughs> uh, the moist ground is uh, better for scent, so dogs love that, that, that dew on the ground. Moisture. Plenty to see and smell out there. Yeah, there sure is. Well, we've got a, a great show today. Uh, we have the part of the ACCESS team back with us, Dr. Tamara Walker, who's a surgical specialist. Um, we're going to be tapping her brain on today's show and talking about um, a lot about orthopedics, um, joints, and talking about the um, talk that she has coming up this weekend. I'll go ahead and announce that now for the first time. Um, today, and then I'll talk about it throughout the show, too. And I'm going to post all of this information on our homepage. So if you're driving and you can't write this down, uh, I'll post it on our homepage as well and uh, put it out on our Facebook page, too, dogradioshow.com. This Sunday, the 27th, 10.30 a.m. to noon, Dr. Walker is giving a workshop, Caring for the Active Dog, free to the public, Uh, It's going to be at Great Dog, which is in Seattle on Roosevelt. And I'll post the address and everything, like I said, on our homepage and also the RSVP information. You can either email or call with your RSVP if you'd like to attend this. Of course, may be of particular interest to owners of agility, fly ball, and sporting dogs, or anybody who hikes or jogs with their energetic canine companion, Uh, You'll learn basic canine anatomy, how orthopedic injuries can happen, what can be done to prevent them, and how they can be fixed if they do happen. So uh, that's Dr. Tamara Walker, who is with us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So now you are a board-certified veterinary surgeon, and you're also the um, head of the surgery department at ACCESS, and that's the acronym for Animal Critical Care and Emergency Services. Critical Care Vets is their website. And how long have you been at Access? 
I joined in 2006, so I've been there uh, over eight years now. And how long have you been a, a surgery specialist, surgical specialist? So I started my residency in 1998, and I became boarded in 2002, so over 10 years. So you're, when you say a specialist in surgery, so you do all types of surgery, not just orthopedic. That's right. I actually trained in uh, small animal surgery, and we did a combination of orthopedics and soft tissue, and that includes trauma and oncology and reconstructive surgery as well as anything else that um, is uh, repaired surgically. Mm. Very interesting. I appreciate the type of person that's able to do that kind of work because it's intense and very high pressure and, you know, I mean, learning about uh, all of the anatomy and physiology and to the degree where you're actually working with it, you know, in an animal that, you know, I mean, their life is in your in your hands. It has definitely been yeah. an incredibly rewarding profession, mm. but also challenging, certainly. Yeah. And high stress in the moment. And I'm also a a rock climber, so I think that there's a part of my personality that is drawn towards that. Yeah. Comfortable with the edge? Perhaps, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wanted to, uh, we, I interviewed uh, about, what is it, a month or so ago, Dr. David Au, who's the um, founder of Access, one of the founders. And, um, First, wanted to say again, you know, what is a specialist? Because, you know, I have experienced and I know on your end, you have experienced that a lot of people don't even know that veterinary specialists are out there for them to access. <laughs> um, so tell me about what is the difference between it's like, well, my vet does, you know, surgery, right? So what's the difference between a specialist and a, and a general care vet? It's so interesting that you asked that question because my family, actually, my grandparents asked that question as well. Why do you want to go to school? Don't you already know how to do surgery? Mm-hmm. And it's really a, uh, an additional training so that we go on to do an internship. So that's in sort of general small animal. We learn medicine and surgery at that time. That's a one-year program. And then we go on to do a three-year residency training program where we're sp- specifically doing surgery mentored by people who are specialists in surgery and you're trained in both orthopedics and soft tissue so that that's a very intensive training program, very similar to training programs that happen in the human side. Mm -hmm. And so then we go through that program on call, a lot of emergency uh, support that we do overnight. And um, then after that, go on to write a board exam to pass and show that you've learned what you needed to learn. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's, what, 10,000 hours or something like that? That's right. So Malcolm Blank um, wrote a, 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 an article at one point saying that really to become a specialist of some, um, in, in a certain field, that there's about 10,000 hours of training that you need. And you get that 10,000 hours in that three years that you're in your mm-hmm. residency training program. Mm. And it is. I mean, people, I think, are more, when you think of a human specialist, it's like, oh, yeah you know, ear, nose, and throat, and, you know, any other specialists that you might go to for human medicine. But it's interesting that people don't necessarily know that that's a similar world for their animals as well. Right. And I think knowing that 
we work with um, referring veterinarians and that we're part of the health care of your pet mm-hmm. and that if you want something that's more advanced or if there's questions that aren't um, that you have that you would like to be answered, that there's often additional things that can be done for your pet. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good point about really the, the team, the health care team that, you know, person may have for their pet, their regular vet, they might have, um, you know, or know of, of, or have used specialists or consulted with specialists about specific things. They might go to a holistic vet for certain things and then other, other types of, of care that people can provide. Now, like for example, which we'll talk a little bit more about when we get more into orthopedics later in the show, but like other healthcare providers like water therapy, swim therapy for surgery recovery. Um, I'll be asking you about that. Um, you know, acupuncture, massage, rake, all those kinds of things. In addition to making sure you know nutrition is so huge, which I anyone who's listened to the show knows I talk about that all the time. Um, but really, the team, and that's something that's so great that um, Dr. David Al was really clear about. In conversation, something that I really witnessed at your 10-year anniversary party and something that you, one of the first things that you were talking about with Access is how collaborative you all are with each other. So you you have an oncologist or an oncology specialist there, and then you're the, you might do the surgery for that, but you can really consult, and you said especially with like trauma. Right. So... One of the things that brought me to access, I was working before in a small surgical referral practice where I was really working on my own. I did a lot of orthopedics in that practice because you need less support and collaboration to do orthopedics. Mm. But if you want to do trauma or complicated soft tissue cases in unstable patients, Mm. then you really need a support team around you. And that's something that's been just so good and um, so much fun about working at Access is the ability to pull all these different specialists. And we have internal medicine and radiology and critical care and um, oncology all working together with surgery and our um, overnight ER doctors to really provide a a good uh, balanced perspective Mm -hmm. uh, as far as pet care goes. And we really do all enjoy working together and collaborate on those patients. And that's one of my favorite things about working at Access. Yeah. Now, that's an interesting point, too, when you talk about radiology. So that's in-house that's radiologist, right. yeah. That's correct, yeah. Because I've had a lot of experience just over the years with hearing about clients' dogs or dogs that um, we've been working with or my wife has been working with or her clients. And it's like, you know, they the vet takes the x-ray and then it gets sent to the radiologist and then and then that person gives their feedback, but... We've I've had situations where the quality of the X-ray really wasn't as good as it could be. So so then going to a specialist and then they take a better X-ray. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, why don't we just go there first? I mean, you know, not bother with the having to do it over. You know, well, getting it right the first time. It, and that's an interesting question because oftentimes those first X-rays are really important screening X-rays, mm-hmm. and um, we find that there's information in those X-rays that helps to move the pet forward and end up in our practice, but that um, my relationship with the radiologists that work at Access is so important and Mm -hmm. being able to go back and say, what do you think about this? Or can you look at this more closely? Or should we take a different image of this? And especially with ultrasound, where it's so interpretive, Mm -hmm. having 
the ability for me to be in the room at the time of the ultrasound and watch it and ask questions. And then if the radiologist says something that doesn't make sense to me, uh, that having an ongoing working relationship. And and one of the things that has been really uh, interesting over the years for me is recognizing as a surgeon, I'm sort of the gold standard for the radiologist in the sense that they tell us what they think is going to be found, and then I go in and find it. And so what we're always working on is when the radiologist tells me something, am I actually getting the right picture in my head Mm. in that moment. Mm -hmm. And if I go into the OR and do surgery and find something different, then I go back and say, either I didn't understand what you said, or this was there and and you didn't see it. And how do we get better together? And so that is just an example of how collaborative that situation can be and how much better I think the care can be when you're all working in the same building. Yeah. It's such a complicated... um just, I mean, health and there's so much to know, right. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I've experienced this with humans in my life. You know, there's you go and see this person and then and it might be a primary care and then the, you go and you get a referral for over here and then there's and then you go over here and you get this procedure done and then and it's very, very disjointed and really hard. I mean, even for just the the person or the individual to hold all of the information, let alone for the, I don't know how communication really can happen effectively between all of the professionals. Right. And, and that's so, I can really, really, really appreciate the value of all of that, just being in, in-house and having relationships with the people who you're communicating with. So it's not just having a- access to communicate with the person, but actually knowing the person's communication style or, you know, know, having a relationship with them makes it even more um, effective. That's right. And I think my dream for veterinary medicine is to have uh, a place where the referring vets are really the coordinators of all of that care. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones who have the relationship with the specialists and know as much as possible about all the different things that are happening, just like it happens with your family doctor. Mm-hmm. And that as specialists, we have a role in the care of the pet. They come to us for a very specific condition. I'm no good at, at answering so many of the questions that are asked to me in the exam room. That's really not part of my specialty. Right. But um, being able to give them a sense of this is what I know and and have somebody in the center who's coordinating all coordinating all of that is really important. So the more that we can build those relationships with us and our referring veterinarians, I think the better the care is for the pet. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be talking more with Tamara Walker, Dr. Tamara Walker, who is the head of the surgery department and board certified surgeon at Access Animal Critical Care and Emergency Services. Their website is criticalcarevets.com. And you're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. If I had my life to live over, I know just what I'd like to be. A pampered pet of a rich brunette, I'm sitting on my mama's knee. Someone to love me, someone to care. And rub a dub a dub a little fingers through my hair and lead a dog life. Oh, what a life. Yeah, that's good enough for me. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options, 
to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. Coming up September 26th on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Science and environmental journalist Mary Ellen Hannibal returns to discuss her latest book. Citizen Scientist is the story of how one woman rescued herself from grief. Along the way, her recovery inspired her to take a different look at loss in the world at large, resulting in a blueprint for action based on a new kind of science that may finally prepare Earth for our children. Tune in Mondays at New Pacific right here on Alternative Talk 1150. This is Julie Forbes. I'm excited to tell you about Farm Dog Naturals, a company that handcrafts herbal remedies for the all-natural dog. Quality and integrity are must-haves for anything that I recommend. Certified eco-friendly and cruelty-free, their products address issues like stress and anxiety, itching, hot spots, crusty noses, as well as pet urine, stains, and odor. Farm Dog Naturals is guaranteed, and I'm so happy with the results I'm seeing. Shipping is available worldwide from their website, farmdognaturals.com, or you can ask for them at a retailer near you. Again, that's farmdognaturals.com. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. A nuzzle, a muzzle, a hole in a paw. Greatest case of puppy loving you ever saw. It's called a dog life. Boy, what a life. Yeah, that's good enough for me. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And we are back with Dr. Tamara Walker, who's the head of the surgery department at Access Animal Critical Care and Emergency Services. Two locations, one in Renton, one on Lake City Way in Seattle, criticalcarevets.com is their website. So we're talking about uh, what is a specialist and how you all work together at Access. You have so many specialists in-house. It's um, a really, really valuable team that you have together and everybody can really work together and collaborate. Um, You do are, so you're a specialist, a surgical specialist and that's all different types of surgeries. So we talked about uh, oncology, um, orthopedics, and you have an event, too, if you're just tuning in. Um, Dr. Walker is holding a workshop this Sunday. It's free to the public in Seattle at Great Dog uh, on Roosevelt Way. I'll post all of this information on our homepage, which is dogradioshow.com, Caring for the Active Dog. And it's going to be um, just learning about basic canine anatomy, how orthopedic injuries can happen, what you can do to prevent them, and if they do happen, how they can be fixed. Um, So definitely check that out, and I will post all of the information you need to RSVP for that. It is free to the public, but um, do RSVP so that they have a relatively accurate headcount. It's from 10.30 a.m. to noon this Sunday, the 27th. So as far as the orthopedic aspect, um, meaning now what is orthopedic, what does that all entail? What does that actually mean? So orthopedic actually has to do with bones. It's um, the word is an 
origin is to do with bones, mm-hmm. but it really is the musculoskeletal system so that we include muscles in that as well. Okay. So joints, bones, correct, muscles, correct, ligaments, tendons. Yes, all of those things. Got yes. it. So like the structure. Um, and, you know, there is a lot. I mean, gosh, we could do a whole show probably just on arthritis. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, certainly injuries, I think it's a really common thing that dogs, either because of genetic reasons or because of um, some active trauma that they've had where they blow their knee out or a combination of the two, um, where there's all these different types of, I've had clients tell me, you know, they've had a dog who the TPLO and, you know, all these different surgeries and that, well, you're not supposed to go. Turns out you're not supposed to go to swim therapy for this one because the um, pushing with no resistance actually isn't good for this, but it is good for this. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, (laughs) so you know, having, uh, you know, working with a specialist so that you're sure that one, the surgery is being done and, you know, with a certain level of expertise, but also making sure that the the um, recovery is being handled in the best way possible and that all of that information is up to date and all that stuff. Yeah. And as we, I think that you've watched this evolution in human medicine and now we're seeing it in veterinary medicine. We're understanding the physical therapy part, the recovery part, and how important it is mm-hmm. and the different things that we can do to enhance the recovery or speed up the recovery. And dogs are so resilient mm-hmm. and they're really good at doing their own physical therapy anyway. So a lot of times if things are going well, it's not as critical, but I think it really, it does help. If things are not going well, it can be the difference between success and failure Mm -hmm. and having a good physical therapy, a a good physical therapist. And now there's actually uh, a canine sports medicine and rehabilitation specialty that's Mm. um, brand new last few years. Mm. um, And uh, that specialty works on the recovery and um, just in the same way that physical therapists work with people. Interesting. Now, what are the different types of ortho? Under the category of orthopedic um, surgeries that you typically do? So we divide orthopedics into two broad categories, which is elective orthopedics and um, and trauma, basically. So mm-hmm. fractures, that's considered non-elective. Those are emergencies. If your animal, almost anything that's broken that needs surgery would be something that would be performed within a couple of days of that mm-hmm. happening. And that's a completely different pathway that people go down versus if it's an what we consider an elective orthopedic procedure. That's an injury that's been happening often over some period of time. Uh, probably the most familiar that people would be with um, in that category would be cruciate injuries. That's by far the most common orthopedic elective procedure that we do and that veterinary medicine does. Mm-hmm. And um, and what yeah. is the cruciate for people who may not know? Right. right. So about. the cruciate ligaments are two ligaments that run inside of the knee. And I explain it to people that uh, the shoulder and the hip are ball and socket joints, whereas the knee is actually completely supported by ligaments. And those ligaments are fundamental to the relationship between the two bones. Mm -hmm. And there's one specific ligament that the way that a dog walks is loaded every time they walk. Mm. And that's the cranial cruciate. It's similar to the anterior cruciate in people, but it's not um, because of the way that dogs walk, it is 
a chronic use injury much more commonly than an acute injury. So it's something that happens over time Mm. rather than something that happens like a skier or a football player who all of a sudden blows out their knee. That's not actually what happens in probably over 90% of dogs that have this injury. Oh, wow. Interesting. Hmm. So, and that's the... One of the cruciate? Right. So there's two. There's one called the cranial cruciate and one called the caudal. And cranial just means front and caudal means back. Mm -hmm. So it has to do with the direction that it runs. Mm -hmm. And the cranial cruciate is the one that's constantly loaded Mm -hmm. when the animal is walking or running. And more commonly, the one that needs help. Almost always. Yeah. So, yeah, the caudal cruciate is almost never injured. And... um, the, the concept between, uh, behind one of the more common procedures, the TPLO that you mentioned, yes. tibial plateau leveling osteotomy, uh, what that does is it actually changes the biomechanics of the joint so that that uh, ligament is no longer loaded or needed. So it just it changes the way that the dog is walking on the surface of the joint. Where does the load go to if it's not on that one? It loads a little bit more on the caudal cruciate. And it also creates a flat surface instead of a slide so that when the dog is walking, it's more like when when we walk on our tibia, it's flat. And um, when they walk on theirs, it's a big slide so that by flattening it, now they have a flat surface instead of a sliding surface to walk on. Hmm. And is that, um, I've heard that the TPLO um, being you know, more recently I'm hearing it from clients or who have had it done. Or, um, and it are they, because you're changing the structure of the joint, is there, um, yeah, how long has that surgery been practiced? Do they know, does it have long-term effects or does it um, compromise them later or is it generally are- great? Great, great questions. So it's actually been around and fairly popular for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. So we do have some good follow-up on it. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been shown to be very effective long-term. So regardless of the reconstruction technique that you use for cruciate injury in dogs, they all get arthritis. But um, the dogs that have had TPLOs go on to live um, healthy, long lives, and, and their their joints do as well as, as we could mm-hmm. have them do. Yeah. And what's the other, so if it's not TPLO, then what would the other type of surgery be to repair that ligament? Well, there's actually quite a lot of different surgeries to repair it. And to me, what that means is there's no perfect one. Mm-hmm. And that's true about TPLO as well. Mm-hmm. But the most common and the one that's been around probably for about 30 years is something called a lateral suture stabilization. And the idea behind that is that we're using really strong suture on the outside of the knee and turn we turn the knee into a hinge kind of a joint um, so that it is stabilized um, by scar tissue by the suture on the outside. And then there's other uh, procedures that change the biomechanics of the joint in different ways to kind of basically do the same thing as what the TPLO is doing. Another uh, common but newer procedure is something called the TTA. Mm. What does that stand for? Um, The tibial uh, transposition arthrotomy. So, and there's some situations, like I think my, my mom's dog who since passed away, she had a little Karen Terrier. She had a surgery on both knee, you know, one knee and then the other one, and then she had that one fixed. Um, And I've heard from, and she did great and healed up and never blew him out again and all that stuff. Um, 
<clears throat> and are there some where they heal on their own and some where they where because I've kind of heard that in flying around right. over the years where it's like, well, we don't know if surgery is necessary. So what's like that? Um, actually, I'm going to hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So we're talking with Dr. Tamara Walker who is uh, the head of the surgery department at Access. She's a board-certified surgeon, and Access is one of our show partners, Animal Critical Care and Emergency Services. CriticalCareVets.com is their website. And be sure to check out uh, Dr. Walker's workshop this weekend, Caring for the Active Dog. Free to the public, just RSVP. I'll put all of that information on our homepage, which is dogradioshow.com, Sunday, October 27th, um, this Sunday, 1030 to noon um, at Great Dog in Seattle. And I'm, I'm sure that that information is probably on the Access website, too. So you can also just go directly to their website for that information, criticalcarevets.com. We're going to take a quick break, break, and we'll be back with Dr. Walker. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression, even dog food sensitivities. You name it and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me, host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes, host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. (laughs) The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. Find our app in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and take us with you wherever you go. Alternative Talk, AM 1150. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. We're back with Dr. Tamara Walker. She is the head of the surgery department at Access, Animal Critical Care and Emergency Services. Two locations, one in Renton, Washington, one in Seattle on Lake City Way, open 24 hours. Also housing a whole slew of specialists. We have one of them here. Dr. Tamara Walker is the 
uh, specialist in surgery, uh, board-certified veterinary surgeon, and head of the surgery department. We've been talking a lot about orthopedic surgery, which, as you said in the last segment, pretty much pertains to anything having to do with the structure of the body, so bones, joints, muscles, ligaments, tendons, all that good stuff. Um, We're talking about the different types of knee surgeries, which is a very common one for people um, with their dogs. Do you do many on cats? Actually, I do. Really? Um, I do. And I sometimes, I think because of where our practice is, that we see more cats than a lot of other big practices like ours. But we have a fairly high cat caseload, and I do quite a lot of orthopedics on cats. Really? Knees? Knees. Wow. What are cats doing what is the cause? Is it a genetic thing or is it more activity related? Very rarely it's genetic, but mm. more commonly it's trauma. So that um, cats, both because they're outside and having a uh, higher risk for being hit by cars than right. dogs, and right. also cats have um, uh, have a, enjoy jumping from high places. So knees in cats are different than dogs in that it is almost always a trauma-based injury in their case. Mm. So a question, so I asked you a question at the end of the last segment um, about times where surgery may not be needed, where there is an injury, right? Um, where people may be able to sort of get away with not having surgery. I don't, and that's all, I don't, I know that that, I've heard that before, but from your perspective. Yeah, we're trying to figure that out as a specialty community, really, what animals maybe don't need surgery, and are there some that maybe can get away with physical therapy, and is it possible that if you treat an animal early with physical therapy, can you get away with not doing surgery? I'm not sure that that's clear at this point. Mm. Uh, I think that there's a good chance that some of those animals will go on to injure their knees as they start up with more high-level activity again. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a question. There is a category of dogs so that under about 15 pounds, we usually think that those dogs actually don't need surgery. So that it depends. One of the injuries in the knee that can happen is if they tear their meniscus. Mm. That's very painful and it's not going to get better. So regardless of size or any other factors, those dogs absolutely need surgery. And what is the meniscus? The meniscus is a little disc of cartilage that sits between the two bones in the knee. And those two bones actually don't fit perfectly together. So it acts as a a shock absorber and also a stabilizer of the knee. And it can get caught when those two bones are moving independently because the ligament is torn. It can get caught between the bones and torn. Is it beneath the patella, the kneecap, or is it it more in between the thigh and the lower leg bones. Right. So it's actually between the thigh, which is the femur, and the lower leg bone, which is the tibia. It sits as basically a wedge between those two bones. Mm. Um, So now that brings up another thing that I hear all the time with little dogs. What is the deal with the luxating patella? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right? Because then it's like, oh, you see these little dogs, their legs get, they either hop or they're, as they're walking, you, every third step is a skip or, you know, there's all sorts of funny behaviors that I think they can do and people might think they're injured, but it's this luxating patella, genetic, right? Right. So patella is that, that's a kneecap and it 
can move. And um, it's dependent on a couple of different things to keep it in place. So the depth of the groove that it sits in in the femur is important and also the way that it lines up. So it's part of the quadriceps mechanism and it is um, sitting so that if it's lined up straight on the leg, then it's going to stay in its groove and be where it's supposed to and the leg develops normally. But if it's not properly lined up, then the groove tends to be shallow and it most commonly will luxate or move towards the inside. And that is very, very common in toy and small breed dogs. We think about that as being surgical when it starts to impact their quality of life. So that there's a lot of dogs that have patellas that move back and forth that are minimally impacted by that. And that means that it's really not, I've heard, oh, it's not painful. Right. It, 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 I think of reasons why dogs limp, and there's two like, big, three big categories, actually. Um, one is mechanical, the second is pain, and the third is neurologic. And so the thing about a luxating patella is that it's most of the time a mechanical lameness in that the the kneecap slides over, gets caught, and you actually, they're unable to bend their knee properly or extend it. It can be painful if it happens with uh, an injury so that it's it's actually a normal patella that wants to be in that place and it is so injured that it moves, that is exceedingly painful. But if it's something that genetically the dog has had happening its whole life, it actually isn't necessarily painful. It depends on uh, how it's moving and what it's doing. But most often the reason those dogs go three-legged is a mechanical lameness. Mm. And that brings up, (laughs) um, we could be here all day. I could anyway. I don't know about you. but um, And that brings up another thing, what you just mentioned, which made me think of something else. The difference between um, limping, so where the animal's really putting very little weight or no weight on a leg, and and then favoring. So I was talking to you about one of our cattle dogs and how we need to get him in for a... Um, a good look by a specialist. Um, and he does not limp. And he runs. I mean, he'll, you know, you wouldn't know that he that he's compromised. The only thing that makes us think that he is, is the way that he holds himself when he's standing still. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he favors one side. So he's shifting his weight. Where it's like he's not putting as much weight on his either right or left. I don't remember which one it is, but he runs. He doesn't, and he's not. He doesn't limp. He doesn't limp after he runs. Where you know mm-hmm. it's actual limping, but he does seem compromised. And I think of that as a degree thing where. Dogs have such a strong override mechanism in that you can understand how badly compromised they are by the levels of activity at which they show lameness or limping. And if you think about a dog that's chasing a rabbit, if it had a broken leg, it would still not be using the leg. But a lot of dogs that are injured and painful will normally use that leg because they're overriding the pain because they're so excited. Yeah. And that's him. Okay. He's 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 that kind of guy. So yeah. yeah. It's like, I don't care what's going on. I'm going after that ball. Right. <laughs> which is probably how he compromised right. himself in the first place. <laughs> right. And that brings up a good point about prevention. Probably one of the most common things, at least in my mind, is, you know, 
if you're if you're throwing the frisbee, throwing a ball that bounces, keeping them low to the ground. Right. So, um, and this brings us back to the cruciate talk that we just had, which is it's such a common injury and probably somewhere between 40 and 50 percent of dogs that have a problem on one side will have a problem on the other. Mm. And uh, clients will often ask me, how do I stop this from happening on the other side? And honestly, I think for a lot of things in dogs, you can't really stop these things from happening, but there are some things. And throwing a Frisbee high and watching a dog leap in the air for a Frisbee is something that does make me cringe when I'm watching it as an orthopedic surgeon. Makes me stop breathing. Right. (laughs) I'm like, oh, no. Every once in a while, I throw the ball the wrong way and he goes up for it. And I'm just like, oh, no. (laughs) And then I watch him and he seems fine, but then he's clicked in. So who knows? So, yeah, I remember years ago I interviewed um, somebody from Disc Dogs, and she talked about the importance. She said the biggest thing about that really is the people learning how to throw the Frisbee, not so much the dog catching it, um, and how important it is to keep it low. And I think for all dogs, this would be the case. And then I know I say this a lot with people who have long-backed dogs, to not dangle the toy, like for a dachshund, for example, not dangle the toy and have them, you know, stand on their hind legs trying to get at it because it's just really not nice nice for their body. And, and I think when we talk about prevention and preventing injuries in dogs, trying to really understand what your dog's conformation is, what its shape is, and what kind of injuries it's going to be prone to is really, really important. And a dachshund is a really good example of that in that uh, they are so high risk for back injuries and that doing things that are going to increase the risk for that really just doesn't make sense. Yeah, absolutely. Picking them, you know, I have a dachshund, one of my few dogs that we have, um, you know, pick picking, I was just working with a client that has a dachshund and, you know, they're just picking her up by her chest and not supporting her hind end. You know, they, I liken them to like a um, fire engine that has a driver in the back. <laughs> um, so, you know, making sure that you're supporting the front and back if you're picking them up, trying to prevent them jumping up and off of things. And so, We talked about we're going to take our last break. And when we come back, I want to talk more about what you were just saying about, you know, as far as talking about physical exercise, really thinking about um, exercise that's appropriate for your dog. And that makes sense. I mean, I I am good at certain things and really not good at other things as a human. Right. So um, we'll get into that when we come back more with Dr. Tamara Walker, who's the head of the surgery department at Access. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression, even dog food sensitivities, you name it, and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. 
If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me, host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes, host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. (laughs) This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the Missing Link Supplements, we cover the world of animals. This week, September 18th, we'll be entertaining and educating the human animal. Ananda's very popular Morley Van Catreo joins me again. This time, he'll be doing a radio version of his Sacred Secrets of Hinduism and the Lineage of Yoga class. Plan to join us for this magnetic presentation. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. Easy on the ears, good for the soul. Alternative Talk, 1150. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, and we're back with Dr. Tamara Walker, who is the head of the surgery department at Access Animal Critical Care and Emergency Services. Their website is criticalcarevets.com. They have a couple workshops, uh, some of the specialists there. Dr. Walker, who's here with us today, is holding a workshop this Sunday, 1030 to noon, Free to the public at Great Dog in Seattle, North Seattle on Roosevelt Way. I'll post all the information you need on our website, dogradioshow.com, or you can find it on Access's website, which is criticalcarevets.com. It's going to be about uh, learning about basic canine anatomy, how orthopedic injuries can happen, what can be done to prevent them, and how they can be fixed if they do happen. We've been talking a lot today about orthopedics. We're going to get into... Um, another topic here with um, the rest of our time today, and then hopefully we'll have you back to pick your brain a little bit more. Thank you. Um, I wanted to announce, too, another workshop, uh, Pet First Aid Workshop, free to the public as well, Saturday, November 9th. I'll post all this information on our website, and you can get it at Access's website as well, criticalcarevets.com, 11 to 1, 11 a.m. to 1. This one will be at Seattle Canine Club And this will be uh, talking about basic anatomy, how to obtain vital signs, types and signs of shock, orthopedic injuries, basic bandaging. The seconds, minutes, and hours following an emergency can be critical in determining the outcome. So this is a really, really important, um, valuable workshop for all pet owners to attend um, and be equipped with this information, basic pet first aid. Okay. Now... One of the things I wanted to mention, and then we're going to get into other types of surgery and touch on that, but you said you brought up a really good point about breed-appropriate activity, and you also said consistent exercise that's sort of at, at a similar level as compared to, like, 
going out and like throwing the ball like crazy for half an hour and then the dog never does anything else as far as like exercise goes. So consistent exercise instead of sporadic and intense and then also breed appropriate. Right. So I think about thinking about our dogs and the way that we think about our own bodies and the way that we care for them and what makes us hurt often makes them hurt. So if you think about going out for a really long run once every three weeks, that's a lot worse than going for a little short one every day. Uh, So trying to do something consistently, trying to have them an appropriate weight. So dogs that are overweight, uh, it's actually been shown that just being overweight can also inflame your joints, be above and beyond just the extra weight that you're carrying. Mm-hmm. So that keeping them a good weight and um, consistent exercise and thinking about their body shape and the kinds of exercise that they're going to enjoy. Some dogs are water dogs, and water is a fantastic way to get uh, exercise for dogs. But also... Uh, we were talking about bulldogs and not taking your bulldog out for a, a walk in the middle of the day uh, in August. Yeah. So really thinking about what your dog is going to enjoy and be able to do well. Yeah. Probably not taking most dogs out in the middle of the day when it's extremely hot, um, but especially the dogs that have compromised breathing, like the brachycephalics, bulldogs, pugs, Boston Terriers, all those guys, Shih Tzus. It makes it a lot harder for them. Um, Now, you do uh, lots of other types of surgeries outside of orthopedics, um, and you wanted to talk about some of the minimally invasive surgeries that you offer at Access as an option. That's right. So for the past few years, we've been uh, doing minimally invasive surgery at Access, and uh, it's something called laparoscopy, where we're using a little camera to go and look into the abdomen. And this allows us to do some simple surgeries with very little trauma. And it's very helpful in giant breed dogs so that the incisions are much smaller and we're able to have a really good look around. But one of the most common surgeries that we do is something called a prophylactic gastropexy. And that's for dogs that are at high risk for twisting their stomach or for GDV. And that those dogs then we use a little camera to attach their stomach to their body wall so that it can't twist. Mm. And you said Great Danes are, what was it, some crazy percentage of Great Danes? Great Danes have a 40% lifetime risk of having a GDV. So that breed is the breed that we're really, really um, trying to educate everyone about Mm. the advantages of doing a prophylactic gastropexy. And being part of access, I see those dogs come in on emergency. And that's a life-threatening condition that's expensive to treat and is um, a- and can have a, a devastating outcome. Mm-hmm. And the surgery to prevent it is simple with very low risk mm-hmm. and definitely something to think about if you're a Great Dane owner. Hmm. Um, it is scary. Bloat, I think a lot of people have heard about bloat but don't necessarily know really what's happening or what are the signs. Should I be worried? Um, what are some of the, the telltale signs of bloat? of that happening. So one of the most common is something we call non-productive retching. So your dog is trying to vomit but is unable to. And that's because the stomach is twisted in a way that it can no longer empty its contents. Mm-hmm. You'll notice that the abdomen is getting distended. As the dogs get sicker, they can become very, very um, lethargic, collapse, and, um, and, um, and, and have an event where they, it's life-threatening. How much time generally... Um, like if someone notices that their dog is, is throwing up 
and I assume this is, you know, over and over and over again with nothing coming up. Um, right. So how much time do they have to sort of see if the throwing up stops or it's kind of like, OK, I think my dog might. But, you know, I'm I'm wondering because I do know that it is life threatening. What is it? The, the stopwatch. On I that? would say that the most common time frame that we see is an hour to two hours that people have been um, watching their dogs and that those dogs are not usually in trouble by the time they come in. Okay. The dogs that are really in trouble, maybe they uh, started getting sick in the evening and um, were missed through the night or that um, they're alone by themselves for several hours before anyone notices. So that you do have time if you're with your dog and you notice that they're sick and they're not uh, and they're not getting better. You do have time to assess that for a little while before coming in. It's not an immediate uh, emergency. If you see your dog vomit, you need to come right in. Mm-hmm. So you have time to figure out, oh, yes, this is something that's really, really serious. Mm-hmm. So scary and so important to just be so attentive in general. I mean, when we talk about I've had a lot of interviews, especially recently about canine cancer and how important it is to you know, just be familiar with your dog's body so that if something changes, especially, you'll notice. I think this is an excellent point. And especially with cancer, uh, one of the most common, there's two really common cancers that we see of the skin. One's called a mast cell tumor and the other is a soft tissue sarcoma. And both of those, surgery, when done early, it can be curative for life for those uh, dogs. If it's done late, often it's not curative. It comes back. It, it creates a really big problem in their lives. So you can really change the outcome mm-hmm. by paying attention. Being on top of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, my thing is like if I have, I just don't mess around with, you know, because like you said before, it's, you know, dogs don't tell us hey, this is where it is, or this is what it is, or I can tell you this, these are my symptoms. You're kind of just like, okay, I'm noticing these things um, to just get it checked out so you don't find out the hard way. Well, we can, I could really be here um, for hours um, talking to you more about what you know and your expertise and experience. Um, But we are uh, coming up on the end of the show. So just wanted to wrap up, and, and if you've missed any part of this episode or any of our over 240 now, they're all archived on our website, dogradioshow.com. Free podcast on iTunes as well. Be sure to find us on Facebook and find access on Facebook as well. Um, Animal Critical Care and Emergency Services would be how they would find it. Um, they have a lot of great informative posts through their Facebook page too. I'll post all of that on our website dogradioshow.com. You can also find it on Access's website, criticalcarevets.com. Thank you for your time today. I hope to have you back again. And thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You've been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.